0: Welcome to episode 99 of the Jackson Hole Connection, brought to you by Jackson Hole Wine Club. Please visit the slash TLS to learn more. Hello from Jackson Hole. I'm Stefan Abrams, your host and guide today. Each week, I sit with someone connected to Jackson Hole to share their fascinating story about daily life. I feel we have an opportunity to learn so much from each other. And I intend to search people out who have a story that you want to hear. So please listen each week while I search people out who you can learn from their everyday circle of life. My guest today is Morgan Yowen, the executive director of the Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum. Morgan first visited the hole at the age of six from a family trip. After several visits, later Morgan landed back here in the hole until finally moving here in 2013 after finishing graduate school. In today's episode, Morgan shares with us some interesting unknown stories and facts about Jackson Hole. Morgan will also help us understand what it takes to operate such an important organization like our local Historical Society Museum. Morgan, delighted to have you here at the Jackson Hole Connection today via a fabulous regular life now Zoom call.
1: Mm-hmm. we are getting accustomed to these thank you for having me today you're welcome yeah
0: morgan you are the executive director of the jackson hole historical society and museum and i'd love to for you to start off by telling everybody what is your connection to jackson hole so how long have you been here and how did it all come about
1: sure yeah um this could take a while. I think we all have long stories when it comes to how we got here to Jackson Hole. Um, And it is interesting being in this uh, position because, you know, history is a personal thing and connection to place is a personal and really intimate thing and oftentimes measured in years. And so sometimes I feel like an imposter, but that I think ultimately is the beauty of Jackson Hole is that we all have some connection here and this community is very welcoming and we are a community of transplants. And so that's often how I introduce myself is that I have one of those classic transplant stories that I did not grow up here in Jackson or this area, but I have that story where I came here as a child with my family. Both of my Parents were teachers and uh, worked in schools. And so we did a lot of traveling during the summer, a lot of road trips and a lot of camping. Um, And when I was about six, we did a road trip across the U.S., kind of the northern U.S., and hit all of the national parks. That was kind of our goal. And we came to Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Park. And I distinctly remember something that really stands out in that trip is camping at Signal Mountain Campground and being able to walk from our little campsite out to look at the lake and just how stunning the mountains were. And so then we obviously went home and I <laughs> grew up. I uh, grew up in Western Massachusetts. I grew up in a small town called Deerfield, also known as Historic Deerfield. Um, so Deerfield is uh A tiny little community that neighbors South Deerfield, which is home to Yankee Candle, fun fact. But historic Deerfield is this basically one mile long main street where half of the houses are run by um, a nonprofit, by a history organization as uh, interpreted house museums basically from historic Deerfield has this story of, you know, being a colonial village from the 1700s that has its roots in the 1700s. So half of the museums are these museum houses or half the houses, sorry, are these museum houses. And the other um, houses are mostly faculty housing for um, a a private high school in in Deerfield, which is where my uh, father taught. So anyways, I grew up in this very (laughs) historic village and my dad was a history teacher, and so I've always enjoyed history and particularly and people make fun of me for this, but it's just a part of who I am. I really loved reenactments right we um, There was a lot of <laughs> historical reenactments in deerfield and and in New England, Deerfield is kind of i describe it as a very mini Williamsburg, right so this like experiential history so that was that was my childhood, so I have these two parallel things going on of. Coming to the Tetons where I, when I was a kid, and also this like growing interest and passion for history. Went to college and studied archaeology in Rhode Island. And uh, when I was a sophomore in college, decided I wanted to explore a little bit more. I had always, you know, lived and worked and went to school in New England, and wanted to try a different spot. And so applied for a number of jobs, seasonal jobs in different parks. And ended up getting a job at the marina at Signal Mountain Lodge. Jackson Lake. Yeah. I mm-hmm. know. I was like, whoa, this is meant to be <laughs> which and quite honestly, I mean, all seasonal jobs have their pros and cons, right? But if you have to work a seasonal job in the in a park, working at a marina, driving around boats on Jackson Lake is is where it's at. So <laughs> so I did that. I kind of, I flew out here that first summer. I didn't have a car. Uh, I was 20, um, you know, lived in the dorms at Signal and, and worked at the marina and it was amazing. It was really fun work. It was fun getting to know people here and obviously just amazing getting to, to know the park and getting to hike and get more into backpacking. So I, I, went back to school, and came back the next summer, and did it again, (laughs) and then um, again went back to school, right, so it's this pattern of like school, Tetons, school, Tetons, and uh, when I was, I also took a semester off in college, so my timeline's a little wonky, but I took a semester off to, to work at a national forest in Kentucky as a backcountry ranger, which most people don't think of Kentucky as backcountry, but the Red River Gorge is gorgeous, so. Anyway, so I took some time off, came back to the Tetons, and eventually in there, uh, really thought about what I was doing with my life and um, what I was studying versus what I was doing with with work, and uh, got in touch with Grand Teton National Park with their um, cultural resources manager to see if I could get involved with their program basically if there were any internships that I could come and do because I think you know after two years at the marina I knew the Tetons were it I wanted to be in Jackson Hole but I should really use my degree that I was paying so much for so had a great conversation ended up coming back the next summer to volunteer for the park service and my university had this really great program where they supported unpaid internships, basically with stipends. So that's how I was able to do that. And then babysat a lot that summer and worked in the cultural resources program. I kind of shadowed the park archaeologist and did a lot of survey work. So walking around and and monitoring the archaeological sites that they have recorded up there and really loved that. And I wrapped up that summer. Uh, and I, and that summer was really magical because I was, uh, my Park Service housing was out at Sky Ranch, which is a historic ranch right at the base basically of Buck Mountain. It's when you go up like Granite or, or uh, Death Canyon Road, you see one ranch off to the right, that's white grass. If you keep going another mile, there's this um, smaller ranch kind of tucked into the forest that is within Grand Teton and managed by the Park Service and at that time was employee housing. And it was just amazing to live in these mm. uh, historic log cabin, Yeah, so that that really sealed the deal. Um, I had to go back to school for one final semester to get my degree. I did that and in the meantime was continuing to talk with my supervisor at the park and was able to graduate in December and then moved out to Jackson permanently uh, in the, yeah, January of 2013 and interned for the park service and then it's you know, years go by quick where I uh, then... Had a seasonal position with the park, did some contract work with them. Also started piecing together other work in Jackson. I worked for a law office in town, an architecture office. Still did a lot of babysitting. Was doing some writing on the side. (laughs) Um, That that hustle, as I like to call it. Um, And just knew this was the place I wanted to be. But uh, also had to make make the tough call to. leave for about a year and a half to go back to school so I went to the University of Oregon to get my master's in historic preservation always with the intention to come back here and uh very serendipitously um I was I was able to finish all my coursework early and so I could move back here and. uh the spring of my second year of grad school and was just finishing my thesis. And that's when the um, job at the Historical Society actually came up. And I quite honestly threw my name in the hat, thinking that it was a long shot, right? I I do have a lot of experience, but it's been pieced together. And I was just coming out of grad school, but, um, you know, applied and, and got an interview and had to multiple interviews with lots of board members and it just pretty quickly felt like the right fit. And at the time, the Historical Society definitely was kind of at a place where they were looking for some fresh ideas and a new direction. And um, it was really fun to brainstorm with uh, board members and staff members at the time of what that could be. And um, so I was offered the job and that was three years ago now. And now here we are. (laughs) So (laughs) that's how I got here. But yeah, Jackson. I mean, I think just everyone has this story where you have one or a few experience with Jackson and either something clicks and it becomes your place or it doesn't and you move on and find, you know, the place that's meant for you. So.
0: Every story is personal.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. I love
0: it. Thank you for sharing.
1: Yeah, you're welcome. And I feel really, it's interesting, like I started talking about how these things are um, personal and uh There are times where I just I feel like it is such a responsibility to to curate and preserve a community's history. Um, But again, I just I think if we can all like have respect for each other and, and know that we all find this place special, then then that's all that matters. So I feel like really it's really rewarding to. Able to be at the museum and put on programs and get to know the quote old timers, right? And all these people who have different lengths of time here and different stories and connections. So, and they're all special.
0: What have you learned during your three years at the Historical Society? That's Mm -hmm. the abbreviated title, correct?
1: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We all know Jackson Hole now.
0: (laughs) What have you learned that? from the historical side of things that made this place so special and so unique?
1: I think a few things. I mean, obviously the common thread is just the landscape here and our ecosystem is so powerful, right? That there is something about living at the base of the Tetons and seeing this beautiful, expansive landscape every day that is inspiring and refreshing and I think just, you know, keeps us all going. Um, And then the other thing you see in history is, the history here and the historical record is this real sense of community and people helping each other out and um, working hard and quite honestly making sacrifices to live here. You know, I like to say it's not the easiest to live here today with the cost of living and our busy tor- tourist seasons, but a um, hundred years ago they had their own <laughs> set of challenges too and i just you know it's it's a bonding moment i think for everyone who lives here for the most part to be able to say yeah we choose to live here and we have to we have to work hard for it and i think you saw that you see that back in the day too
0: i'm so thrilled that you said that because of all the old timers or people connected with multi generations here that's mm-hmm. one of the key things is it took a lot of work to live here yeah yeah back in the day it, and and that was even up to like the early 90s Mm -hmm. It it took a lot of work to live here. Um, Episode number 101 will be this gentleman by the name of Chris Koch. And he moved here in 1972. And he told me about what it was like for him to live here. And everybody's experience is their own personal experience and their own story. But there's relationship
1: information. Exactly. And it's uh, things change (laughs) right over time. And that's why we have things like historical societies just to document that change. And it's not necessarily that we need to, um, you know, get stuck in the past or that one way of life is better than the other. And I just, you know, that's a hot topic here in Jackson. I think we see so pretty quick change, especially in the last couple of decades, it seems like, and you can see people starting to become pretty disgruntled. I don't know that it. That's our history. That's our story is that things change and people adapted, right? Same with like the yeah. homesteaders who came out here and, homesteaded and thought they were going to be farmers and realized oh that's not going to work I need to you know put people up in my pig shed you know which is I'm exaggerating here but you know people had to adapt and things changed and this place became busy pretty quickly so
0: yeah I'm very interested about some of your work that you did in the summer you said that you worked with the grain the archaeologist for Grand Teton National Parks. Mm-hmm. And now being the ED of the Historical Society, I'm curious as to what you have learned as far as the archaeological sites around here mm-hmm. and and what classifies a location as being need to be classified as an archaeological site. What, what are things that people might not know that are out there?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so One disclaimer, (laughs) I studied archeology span for my bachelor's degree and spent a summer with the archeologist at the park and very quickly shifted into historic preservation. I just, I find the more recent history and um, touching and feeling historic buildings a lot more relatable. Um, But I still, I still obviously do appreciate and enjoy archeology span and it is cool here. And I, I think a lot of people don't realize that we do have human history that extends back about 11,000 years. And it's really easy for people to think, oh, Jackson doesn't have that much history. We're so young. But then that's completely discrediting these thousands of years of human history that we don't have written records of, but we do have archaeological evidence that just, for the most part, sits on the landscape here. So we don't have deep deposition. You don't see a lot of archaeological digs or excavations going on. A lot of it is just pedestrian survey work, which is their archaeologist's fancy term for truly just walking in an area with your head down looking for artifacts. And so the most common thing you find around here are um, flakes. So basically the trash of these early people making stone tools and different types of tools. Either obsidian, right, is the most common material here, which is volcanic glass. And there were sources on Chiton Pass and up in Yellowstone. Um, Surgeons still use obsidian occasionally today in modern day surgery because it is such a sharp material. So these early people were making probably pretty uh, useful tools with that material, but also other types of stone as well. Um, And so there's a whole whole system and kind of technical protocol around archaeology that's you know there are levels of kind of who manages what and we do have a state historic preservation office here in Wyoming along with all states actually have a SHPO for short Um, and they kind of come up with different protocols and, and here in Wyoming and don't quote me on this I haven't looked at it recently but it's something like if you have about 15 artifacts so any type of material that's been that you can identify as modified by a human. If you have 15 pieces of those within a certain radius, I think about a 30 foot radius or so, or perhaps a little bigger. And those materials that you find, you can all date to kind of the prehistoric era, which would be those obsidian points and flakes and stuff like that, that creates a prehistoric arc site. And then a historic arc site is, you need a few more artifacts. I think it's something like 30, you have to double that within a certain radius and then that says okay something happened here right like someone either had a camp or this was a trash pile there's enough density of of things in one place that that means you know humans were doing something here and therefore it is becomes an archaeological site that if it's on federal land is protected and then monitored so yeah and then you know another and i this this has come after my time working with archaeologists at Grand Teton for the most part, but there's really cool work going on with ice patch archaeology, basically high, high elevation archaeology where you know, ice sheets and, and glaciers are uh, melting and revealing uh, different types of artifacts that would not necessarily survive if they were just out on the landscape that they've been preserved in this very special, um, cold ice environment and now we get to study them. So I know that's kind of a pressing, urgent, um, new field coming up in archaeology.
0: That's, that sounds amazing. Uh, it's unfortunate the glaciers are melting.
1: <laughs> right. I always slide that in. It's in, like, with, if I give presentations or tours, you know, because unfortunately, uh, that topic is controversial for some reason, some people, right? And I always slide that in. of like, <laughs> the ice sheets are melting, we're just going to, say that and all agree that that's a, a fact that we can agree on and then talk about the archaeology But yeah
0: i'll be right back with morgan after this quick message from the show's sponsor this episode's brought to you by jackson hole wine club the newest and most exciting wine club here in jackson hole recently revamped and updated for your benefit please visit the slash tls to learn more about this wine club subscription model and wine of the week. If you're looking for it, we most likely have it at the Jackson Hole Wine Club. Take a look and enjoy your passion. The Jackson Hole Wine Club. JacksonHoleWineClub.com How many items in your collection are there?
1: We have about, (laughs) like I got these numbers down. Um, We have around 10,000 artifacts in our collection. What we kind of, call the 3D collection. So anything from, a, you know, Obsidian Point to a the foam booth that came out of Jenny Lake Lodge. Um, so we have 10,000 of, of those things, really the pieces that people have u- created and used in the past. And then beyond that, our collection also has around 10,000 Archival documents, so those are written letters, legal documents, anything that people, you know, that either donors and or the Historical Society thought were important and revealed pieces of history from Jackson Hole that have been donated to the museum. We also have over 400 oral histories, so maybe the original podcast, basically, not being uh, broadcast necessarily, but uh, the Historical Society since at least the 80s were, have been conducting recorded interviews. And so that's a really great resource. And then, you know, our, our gem that people really love are the about 18,000 historical photographs. And that's what people really connect to and relate to.
0: How many historical photographs?
1: 18,000.
0: You guys have, must have some facility for storing all this stuff. <laughs>
1: a great question. We're working on that, actually. It is. You know, I always have to remind people that a museum, a historical society, is so much more than just our exhibits and our programs. That really our foundation is this collection. And because those are physical things, we're a space-intensive organization, and all museums and historical societies are so. Yeah, we're we're we actually just completed a large move of our three D collection for the most part from some buildings on Mercil Avenue uh, down to a a large warehouse in Aetna, Wyoming, actually for some offsite storage. You know, it's not ideal that the, that collection is outside of Teton County, but those, were, those are the circumstances we're working in right now with such a tight real estate market in Jackson and Teton County that storage is so hard. And, you know, these are things that are not accessed every day. They're accessed for programs or to rotate on to exhibit. And so, you know, offsite storage that at least is secure and clean and yes, a little drive away, at least, is is still protecting the collection. And I do like to compare, I like to reassure everyone, even though I know there are sometimes some hard feelings that we don't like to compare ourselves to Aspen, but I do look to Aspen as kind of a comparable historical society to us, and they also have off-site storage in Glenwood Springs. And so I think it is just a common thing, right, of trying to accommodate these big collections. But we're also, we're in this process and project right now to create a permanent home for our organization on the historic Van Black block. People are familiar, I'm sure, with the Save the Block effort, um, and we do have a little piece of that where we are purchasing a corner, so the southeast corner right there on the corners of Broadway and Willow or Broom Boulevard. For folks who don't know that that little section of Rhone is called Broom Boulevard. Purchasing a corner of that and actually developing and building a new what I'm calling museum campus for the organization. That will include some historic log cabins that we're moving to the site, some new construction. And uh, this facility will house our permanent year-round exhibits. It'll have programming space for our different events and our kids programming. Um, offices for our staff, and then it will also have storage for our historical photographs and the archives and those are the you know the documents and things that we access more regularly from the collection and that are super sensitive and that need to be in you know climate controlled conditioned space so that's that's how we're making it all work and we're really excited right to have a permanent home where where we can really focus on our programming. The historical society, not to be dramatic, but has been plagued by a number of leases for our 60 years of existence. And this is finally our opportunity to really kind of stake our claim and and control our future, which is incredibly important for all, I think, organizations and people in Jackson Hole, but especially for a space-intensive organization, so.
0: I'm very curious to know why that small section of road is called Brune Boulevard.
1: Um, I am pretty sure mm, Brune, and I can't think of his first name, uh, was a mayor at some point in Jackson's history. And I think it's more recent history. And the story I've heard is, I, don't, I think it was once he was out of office or maybe as he was leaving office, there was just some negotiating. And I don't know if he requested it or if someone truly just wanted to go to do it to honor his time in office that they named that block, that section of road, just for a block, Bruin Boulevard. <laughs> yeah.
0: I'll if you become town. mayor,
1: you too can have.
0: No, I, I do not need <laughs> to be mayor to have a section of road now, named after me, nor do I need a section of road yeah. named after me. The last thing I need is to be mayor of this town or any town other than. <laughs> no, thank you. Yeah. I. Yeah. I am curious. You've you've probably heard many many interesting fun stories of the history of this town. And I'd love if you could share something with us that maybe the listeners haven't heard before. So some a story that's not as mainstream. So you, you might have to get the gears going a little bit harder. Yeah. There's a lot of mainstream stories that I think a lot of people know, but
1: Totally. This one might be known. I'll start with this one as I'm thinking about others. But um, everyone, I hope, and I think, knows about our All Women Town Council of 1920. Mm-hmm. And I think they're like general thoughts about okay, what did they do? They, you know, they did some great things for this town. It was so progressive; women were elected. And uh, I can I have a spiel about what I say they did, and it's it's mostly what I've learned or researched. And I had read in a document somewhere that they had formalized, like quote this is in quotes formalized town square. And so when I first heard that, I was like, cool, great. They create created town square. They created the park that we see today yeah, we can, yeah you know, credit them with that. And I forget if it was someone corrected me or that I read a, another document because we actually have the a lot of the minutes from their time in office, which is really cool. A lot of dry stuff, not a lot of like approving of, of expenditures and stuff. But anyway, some fun facts in there. But I was reading another document and uh, it actually, it elaborated on what that meant, formalizing Town Square. And it simply meant prohibiting cattle grazing on town square. <laughs> I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Step one is keep cattle off of this little green space. Okay. Step two is plant trees, but that came way later. So, so I always think that's funny about those, those women. Um, another good fact I've heard recently is, uh, and actually you would probably like this <laughs> is in the clubhouse, uh, which is the first building on Town Square. It's where Jacksonville Mountain Resort Store is now. And the clubhouse, which had a number of different uh, purposes, it you know has the first drugstore, it had a post office, it was a gathering space where homesteaders would come in and have big parties and dances. I heard something recently about how the, um, during Prohibition era, the residents who were coming together to still party in the clubhouse they would hide their liquor bottles in the um, post office. Maybe you've heard that, right? Of uh, <laughs> And like pull out different ones and know where to get certain alcohol in, in the mm-hmm. different boxes. So, uh, so that's a good one. There are some other good stories I've heard lately. I'm on this kick about women's history because obviously it's just important and a part of our human history no matter what, um, but also because we're, we're celebrating these um a few different anniversaries this year obviously with the all women town council of 1920 and the we just celebrated the 150th anniversary of wyoming's suffrage women's suffrage in 1869 i mean i guess people know about betty woolsey for the most part but i i mean her story isn't told that often
0: why don't you hit us up with it
1: what yeah I've learned a lot more about her recently, just reading more and and, um, trying to learn about some of the um, inspirational women of the area. But I didn't realize she grew up in Arizona, I believe, and her dad worked for the Forest Service. And so I think from her childhood, she was pretty outdoorsy and into different sports and quickly became interested in rock climbing. And Her father encouraged it. I think when she graduated from college, the story goes that he gifted her with her own climbing rope or something. So, and this was in uh, probably the 1920s, 1930s. And then she traveled to Europe to rock climb, to climb, and she was out in, I believe the Alps, climbing, and kind of the story goes that she looked out at some peaks and said, man, this would be so much easier to get to if I was on some skis. Like I'd be able to access all of these climbing routes so much easier. She did not know how to ski, (laughs) but she just thought that. And uh, supposedly the next winter, she stayed in Europe, I think, and taught, taught herself how to ski. And then the following year, she... Somehow managed to try out for the U.S. women's Olympic ski team, which was the U.S.'s first women's Olympic ski team. Uh, she tried out and was fast enough to qualify and was on the women's Olympic ski team. After only skiing for a year, essentially, so I just she she was an incredible woman. And then her connection to Jackson Hole is kind of after all that, she retired here, basically, and started running Trail Creek Ranch at the base of Teton Pass. And even there, I love her story about she hosted the first ski dudes, or kind of winter dudes, um, you know, where dude ranching was huge here, but it was in the summer where people would come out and play cowboy. And she kind of flipped it to say, okay, come out and play skier. I'll like, (laughs) you know, take you up Teton Pass and show you real skiing here. So I just think that's really... A really great story of her
0: for people that are listening Betty Woolsey Woolsey is it Woolsey or Woolsey Woolsey
1: Woolsey
0: Woolsey has a major fingerprint in what we do here in our community now especially in the ski community and the Nordic skiing Um, but she's recognized as one of those Olympia Jackson Hole residents who was in the Olympics so Morgan your passion of history and you living here in Jackson Hole, does this feel as though that you have just the absolute dream job <laughs> that, any, that you yourself, your personal self could ever ask for?
1: Um, Yeah, I think so. And quite honestly, I do. I think about that. Yeah, I feel really lucky, obviously, just to begin with, because this is it all came together, right? Of I referenced earlier of how I have these two parallel tracks going on as I was growing up of like studying history and having this connection to the Tetons and um, the outdoors. And then to actually be able to live here and work in my field is really special. And I was in grad school actually. When I was in grad school, I always knew I was going to come back here for a number of reasons, just because I considered this my home. I knew I wanted to make this my place, but also my, um I was uh engaged and now married to my husband and he stayed here. We, we both, we met here. We knew this was Jackson. And so we just, we knew, okay, Maureen has to go do this and then we'll come back here and, and make our life here. But anyways, when I was wrapping up grad school, I had a meeting with a career counselor there. I think, I think it was required. It was part of like our, our grad program. And I had a meeting with the career counselor and was like, I really, I honestly, I don't know what I've done and what I've spent now almost two years getting this degree and trying to go back to this very small mountain town where I literally, I feel like have three different avenues to pursue a career, either working with Grand Teton National Park, the Jackson Hole Historical Society and Museum. Or the Teton County Historic Preservation Board, which has a like one very part time administrative assistant, which I had actually been doing previously, so I was like there's there aren't many options, and I know everyone has to pivot right and and everyone y- you never know what you're gonna do until you're doing it, but I really just had this block where it's like i what have I done? I've just put myself into this box with very few opportunities, and it has just all worked out, and now to have this Really amazing opportunity to help lead this organization is just above and beyond. So, yeah, we'll see. <laughs> but, and, and it has like, it's kind of been crazy, of you know, I said July 2017 is when I started in this job, and three years has gone by really fast. Um, so, it'll be interesting to see what the next three years will bring. But
0: I remember when I think it was Becky Kimmel brought you to Rotary. Mm-hmm. And announced that you were the new executive director. And I can't believe that it's been three years as well. I know,
1: right?
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It just flies by and yeah. And, and then other things just feel as though it's it's stuck in time. It's just it's wild how different aspects of life either fly by us or are at such a slow motion.
1: Yeah, exactly. And I think it's like, you know, not to discredit myself and I should be careful here, but sometimes I do think of this as my first real job, (laughs) quite honestly. And it's just, uh, I think that has contributed to, you know, everyone, most people have that experience where you're stringing together seasonal jobs and contract work here in Jackson and to be able to have a transition into this full-time position that truly is a career path for me. It just, uh, it's great. And it does, it makes the time fly. And it's cool to think about, and scary also at the same time of trying to make these multi-year plans, um, both personally and professionally and for the organization, which I didn't really have opportunities to do before, right? And to really um, hope that I <laughs> my plan is to stick with this organization, right? And, and be able to plan for the future is really cool.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I I want to find out from you, being somebody in a leadership role, what is it that you do to continually training and educating yourself? Do you have a ritual that you, that you do something daily? H- how do you keep it all together? Cause <laughs> your role is demanding.
1: It is. <laughs> um, I don't know. You're going to expose me, but I, I honest, I don't, I don't have like strong habits and never have, have for the most part but I generally you know I'm pretty active that's my thing it's really important for me to be able to exercise and be and do that outside I guess and me and that's kind of my my balancing act so I do that uh, <laughs> I don't know it's also and I, I think one of the things I've really had to grapple with and comes to terms with and especially in this position is like you can only do so much and you do what you do and you have to go home at the end of the day And you have to be able to come back. Um, And honestly, just like, it's giving myself time to think about that stuff. And it's not, you know, it's not a ritual. And I don't meditate regularly or anything. But, you know, I take my bike rides and think about this stuff and think about balance. And I think giving yourself time to do that is important. I also, Jackson is a small community. And there are so many opportunities here and networks to get involved with, right? You mentioned Rotary, which I'm not a part of yet but there are so many other networks and I think just making those connections and putting yourself out there makes everything easier and you know this I this work-life balance there then creates this kind of fuzzy life where you're just you're you're part of the community and the more you can feel attached to that I think the easier it makes your job and your personal life here so I don't know I've had really great experience I know when I definitely started I was like well I got to get some help and get some mentors and um, really reach out to people to figure out what to do. Right. I mean, executive directors, yes, there. you know, you can get a certificate and a degree in nonprofit management, but a lot of it is just problem solving and figuring out as you go and being able to quite honestly, I think, ask for help and ask for resources when you need them. So I don't, at the beginning I leaned on like the community foundation a lot. I was in um, the momentum mentoring program and it's all about just like, saying yes to things and, and going from there. So I don't know. I do all the outdoorsy things here, right? I ski in the winter. I hike and, and mountain bike in the summer. And that's what makes it all worth it.
0: It does make it worth it. <laughs> and and I tell you, this place offers plenty of opportunities for the work-life balance.
1: Mm-hmm, exactly. And I, there's that mentality here too, right? It's that, I guess I was kind of trying to get at this with the community thing of like, for the most part, we all feel feel that we all came here for different reasons and a lot of them are not centered on work and careers and your professional life and so there's often that like respect and acknowledgement of that and it's not that city grind where you're just expected to work constantly so having that it's almost like a social contract or something that's out here in this community I think is really cool
0: but people still have to work hard to live here
1: that's true right it's it's their
0: balance so (laughs) like you said it's it's that balance for sure. Yeah. So Morgan, what is a way if people wanted to connect with you that they could do that?
1: Yeah, probably the best way is email. Is that still a thing? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the easiest way. I am on Facebook, but I'm not checking that. Um, What is
0: your work email?
1: My work email is Morgan M O R G A N at Jackson dot org.
0: Cool. And what's the website? for the Historical Society and Museum?
1: Yeah, we are at jacksonholehistory.org. Okay. Uh,
0: mm -hmm. And the pictures that people love so much, can they buy copies from the Historical Society and Museum?
1: Great, great question. Yes, so we, um, in the museum, we do have a small uh, museum store where we have pre-printed photographs that we've kind of curated a selection. Um, that folks can come in and browse that and, and purchase them that way. They're just prints and they're you know mounted kind of on foam, foam core, and then you can do with them what you want. But then we also, you know I mentioned this huge 18,000 plus collection of historic photographs. We also have a research center where you can come and book an appointment and work with our collections manager Nora to go through our database. Um, yeah. All of the photos have been digitized and are part of this digital database where you can literally keyword search, and pull up any photograph you could imagine for the most part. Um, And then once you find that, we charge a small fee for a high resolution scan, basically, that you can go off and have printed on yourself, or we can work with you to get those printed. So it's really cool. I think that is like a part that people don't know. We have a lot of the classic photos that people think of, like the cowboy at Elbow Ranch at the rodeo in front of the Tetons, or like the wagon coming in from the North into the Tetons, really great classic photos that people love, but then we have so much more than that. Um, So if you have a specific interest or you want something a little more obscure, you can come in and and do that search yourself, which is pretty cool.
0: That's awesome. I had no idea that that was available.
1: Mm -hmm. yep. And we're actually, we're working also on bringing part of that database online so that you can just access it directly on our website so that you don't have to come in necessarily and then we can still work with you to get you the high res image. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: That's spectacular.
1: Yeah.
0: Well, Morgan, I so appreciate you taking the time to share about Jackson Hole's history because mm-hmm. you are the person that's going to help keep it alive and I think keeping things alive is is all about documentation and preservation preservation not necessarily keeping are. things the way yeah, not necessarily keeping things the way that they were or mm-hmm used to be but preserving the information is mm-hmm. so important and I love history so thank you for for being yeah. part of the historical society and You're museum welcome. yeah
1: <laughs> thank you for doing this right this is part of documenting the history of Jackson Hole as well as um, doing these interviews and um putting on this podcast so
0: you bet yeah my my pleasure I love it I've gotten to meet so many new people that I did not know and mm-hmm. I've gotten to connect with people and gotten to know them so much better than how i beforehand so right, right. Uh, I, I love it i love sitting and visiting
1: right.
0: yeah thank you morgan you go have a great day get outside and enjoy some sunshine
1: i right know we've had a nice summer the upside yeah. of everything going on
0: but. that's right
1: <laughs> cool thanks right.
0: take care bye-bye to learn more about morgan and jackson hole historical society and museum please visit thejacksonholeconnection.com, episode number 99. I sure am looking for more reviews and ratings, so please get out there and search it out on your phone and give us a five stars. Many thanks to everybody who helps me put this episode on each week. Big shout out to Michael Morey, my editor and marketing director, my wife, Laura, and my boys, and all the regular listeners. I know you've enjoyed this episode, and I really look forward to seeing you back next week for the Jackson Hole Connection.